Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to the Old Testament book of Malachi one more time this morning to Malachi chapter 3 and through the first few verses of chapter 4. Malachi chapter 3 for this morning's message and for our time together. Well, I don't know if you've been here over the last several weeks, but over the past month or so, we have been going through a sermon series from the book of Malachi called Return to Me. Return to Me. The key verse of the entire book is found in Malachi chapter 3, verse 7, where God looks at the people and he says, I want you to return to me. Return to me. But strangely, as God says those words to the people in Malachi's day, they look back at God and say, what do you mean return to you? What do you mean? You, you sound, God, like there's some distance, like there's some separation. What do you mean return to you? All throughout the book of Malachi, we have seen exactly what God means by that statement. The people of God in that day were at a time in their life that should have been a time of great joy and great celebration. Outwardly, they were going through the motions of worship. Outwardly, they were being very religious. Outwardly, they were in a place where they had wanted to be for a long period of time. Outwardly, there was great reason to think that everything was okay. But inwardly, something was terribly wrong. Inwardly, something spiritually was off and was missing. So think of that for just a moment. We understand by this time that God had been merciful and gracious to the people of Israel. Years prior, they had been in Babylon and they had been serving as slaves. They had been disobedient to God and they were experiencing God's judgment. And in mercy, they, they cried out to God and said, God, be merciful to us. God, would you deliver us? God, would you set us free? And God was merciful and he was gracious. He heard their cry and he delivered them from Babylon. By the time that Malachi writes around 440 BC, God has delivered the Israelites from Babylon. They've gone back to Jerusalem. They have rebuilt their houses. They've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt the walls around the city. They've reestablished worshiping of God. Outwardly, everything looked good. They were in a season that should have been a time of great celebration. But something was off, something was missing. And as God begins to address these things with them, they come to a point where not only are they discouraged, and not only are they realizing that something is off, they now come to a place, frankly, where they are ready to throw in the towel. They're ready to give up, if you will, on God. They're at a place where they're looking at God, basically, where God is saying, I have loved you. And, and instead of saying, yes, God, we consider all the ways you love us. We think about all the ways you've demonstrated your presence in our life. Instead of remembering the ways, they look at him and say, oh, yeah, prove it. God, if you love us, then what have you done for us lately? God, if you truly love us, then why aren't you blessing us in the way that we desire and even demand? God, if you truly love us, then why aren't you doing this? In their context, as they began to look at the world around them and even the people that didn't know God and live for God, in their eyes, they began to think, well, those people are succeeding and doing just fine. And so they came to a place where they began to throw in the towel in the way that they were resisting God. In Malachi chapter 3 this morning, I want to preach to you on the subject, resisting God. And I believe in it, God has much to show us that applies to us even here today in 2019. If you're able to stand to your feet this morning, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word, beginning in verse 13. The Bible says this, God speaks directly to them and he says this, your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you, God? In other words, God, if, if we've been arrogant, what have we done? Prove it to us. And God says, okay, verse 14. You have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. Verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord gave attention and heard it. 
and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Chapter four, verse one. For behold, God says, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for your word that speaks to us today. It never returns void. Father, there are some that would look at this word written from Malachi's day 440 years before the birth of Christ and determine that was good for them, but it's not for us today. But God, your word is completely, it is truth and it has power and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. So God, today I pray that with your word, you would convict us and like a knife that you would cut where it's needed to mold us and to shape us and to prepare us to be the people that you called us to be. We pray it for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Resisting God. Resisting God. As we read through the book of Malachi, we're quickly reminded that the people of God, the Israelites, the Jews, were constantly in a place where God was looking at them and he was diagnosing problems that were taking place in their hearts and lives. Time and time again, we see that God would diagnose the situation. He would say, this is the problem. This is how you sinned against me. And time and time again, they would deny it. They would resist it and even say, God, prove yourself. Well, unfortunately, we see the pattern continue in Malachi chapter 3 as God once again speaks, but again through their actions and through their words, they began to stand against him. They're busy with spiritual activity. They're going through all the motions, and yet something was terribly wrong. How do they resist the Lord? I think there's two main things that I want to see in Malachi chapter 3 this morning that I believe that God will use to encourage us, but also perhaps as needed to convict us. So what does that look like from Malachi chapter 3? Two main points this morning. Number one, I want us to consider the rejection of the Lord. The rejection of the Lord. Now, when I say the word rejection of the Lord, I'm not referring to God's action towards man, but man's action towards God. All throughout the book, we see this as God speaks and they say, uh-uh, that's not us. God says, you have forgotten that I loved you. And they say, oh no, not me. God says, you've dealt treacherously with your spouse and with your brothers and sisters. And they say, oh no, not me. God says, you've brought these, the, the lame and the disease to offer sacrifices to me. You've offered your leftovers and what's convenient. And they said, oh no, not me. Again, God speaks about their resisting, and once again, they deny it. Two things we see about their rejection of the Lord. First, we see that they rejected the Lord by what they said. By what they said. Please understand this morning that the words that we speak matter. Sometimes they go, oh, well, I just said such and such. I didn't really mean it. No, our words matter because they reveal a great deal of our spiritual condition. Notice what the Bible says here in verse 13. God immediately speaks and he says, your words have been arrogant against me. Now, remember, we understand that the Jews were God's chosen people. Of all the people across the face of the earth, God sovereignly chose them to be his people. Every single one of the Jews had the same opportunity and the same privilege to have a relationship with God. But they did not have a relationship just based upon the race they were born into. They still had to believe God, and they had to trust God, and they had to love God with their heart, their soul, their mind, and with all their strength. But all of them were given the absolute same opportunity. And even though they were given the same opportunity, the Bible tells us with their words, they told God they wanted no part of him. They resisted him. Their words were arrogant against him. Unfortunately, like the ancestors before them in Psalm 78, verse 19, hundreds of years before the people of Malachi's day, David said this, they spoke against God. They spoke against God because they doubted what he could do and even denied and ignored what he had done in the past. 
Well, here, a few hundred years later, are the people of Malachi's day, and they're doing the same thing. They're speaking against God. They're doubting what God can do in the present and ignoring and denying what God has done in the past. I wonder this morning if that would be true in our lives today. I wonder if it would be true in our lives today if we are doubting what God can do in the present and at the same time forgetting and ignoring what God has done in the past. We see the source behind all this in just a moment. But please understand, the Bible tells us they spoke in arrogance towards God. Ultimately, they spoke in arrogance because they were angry and frustrated with God. They had that age-old question that so many people even ask today, and that is this. Why are the wicked successful while the righteous suffer? Why is it that the world around us seems to be doing great? They don't, they don't know God. They're not living for God. And they seem to be getting all the opportunities in the world. And why is it, God, that we, your people, are trying to honor you? And it seems like we're going through suffering and we're going through hardship along the way. But ultimately, that question came from a heart of arrogance. Because they were, in essence, looking at God, saying by their actions, God, we know better. God, if we had control like you and all power, we could do it better. God, we don't understand why you're not working things out the way we think it should be done. And so out of their words, they spoke. But please remember, our words are never just our words. Our words come out of the abundance of our heart. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. The good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. In other words, if it's in our heart, guess what? It's going to come out of our mouth. That's exactly right. Last week I was in the pastor's reception area and there was a couple that came up to me after the, the first service and they were talking to me. And, and frankly, I, I didn't recognize them. I didn't think I'd seen them before. And so I introduced myself and I said, hey, we're so glad to have you here. Is this your first time with us? And they said, actually, it's not. They said, this is our fourth time with you. I said, okay. I said, well, I, I haven't met you. And they said, no, that's true. They said, we come early and we sneak in the back row. We've done it for the past four Sundays and we've sat underneath the balcony. In other words, for those of you in the back row, I can't see your faces. That's what I'm saying, okay? Little secret about this facility. But I, didn't, I couldn't see them, didn't recognize them. And so they came up. And so we got to talk and they asked a few questions about different things. And then they, the guy spoke up and he said, so you're from Alabama, and I thought, how, does, how would he know that? I said, I, I am from Alabama. How do you know that? And his exact words, he said, well, preacher, you talk about it all the time. And, and, and I laughed and I said, well, man, I, I didn't realize how much I talk about. Well, here's the reality. That's where I grew up. That's my home. There's, there's fond memories there. It's a part of, uh, of my DNA in many ways of who I am. And so it fills my heart. And as a result of that, guess what? It comes out naturally out of my mouth. I'm sorry for that, by the way, okay? But, but here's the reality. What's in our heart comes out of our mouth. And so here they are speaking, the Bible says, loudly of their disdain. Now, please understand, they're not saying this to God, but they're saying this to one another. They're saying this to one another. They're speaking arrogantly towards one another. In other words, they're complaining to each other about the things of God and ultimately about the service that they have to God. They had no shame in what they were saying loudly, no discernment for what should be silenced. They're just talking openly. Not only did they speak loudly, but they spoke boldly. They thought they could say whatever they wanted to without any repercussions. Like oftentimes in our culture we do on social media today. We can say and post whatever without any repercussions, or so we think. And that's what they were doing. They're complaining to each other as if God is not aware of their heart and the words that are coming out of their mouth. And then they speak proudly to each other, as if God doesn't care, as if they know best, that they could manage things better, if you will. But I remind us this morning, we will give an account for the words that we speak. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. Jesus said, I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Every careless word. Now, pause there for just a moment and give me a sigh of relief. Every careless word, every word we've spoken amiss, the Bible says we're going to give an account of it. And so I pray that our prayer would be the same as David's in Psalm 141, verses 1 through 3. David prayed, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips, he prayed. God help us to pray the same. The key to a godly mouth is to have a genuine relationship with God. 
And we're in perfect step with him. He will fill our hearts and minds. And as a result of that, guess what's going to come out? His words and his life and his joy is going to come out, not the things that bring devastation and discouragement to others, as was happening in the people of Malachi's day. God speaks and he says, your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord, but they don't own it. They don't repent. They don't accept it and say, God, you're right. We've sinned against you. God, forgive us. No, instead, they deny it. And they, in many ways, try to ignore it. But I'm reminded this morning that those who deny their sin will continue to excuse and deny their sin until they come to an end of themselves and choose to repent. Here in Malachi's day, God continues speaking. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 13. God says, your words have been arrogant to me. And they say, what, God? Prove yourself. How and what have we spoken against you? And God says, here's how. Number two, not only did they reject God by what they said, significant part of the message this morning, they rejected the Lord and how they served. They rejected the Lord and how they served. Now, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you this morning that if I were to talk about rejecting God, if I were to think of a visual image of that, I don't envision what God next describes. If I think of someone rejecting God, I, I, in my mind, envision someone who is so hard-hearted and so defiant that they're kind of, if you will, they're kind of raising their fist to God and saying, God, I won't do it. Like God's calling, God's convicting, God's leading, God's burdening, but by their actions and by their attitude, they're saying, God, no, I will not do it. Or maybe I think of the expression that the preachers used to use in, in many yesteryears ago, the people, people who would be at the church service and they would hear the message and, and they would stand for the altar call and, and instead they would know that God was calling them to repent of their sin and to go to the altar and to, and to turn everything over to God, but instead they would cling to the pew or they would cling to the chair and the preachers in that day would call it white-knuckling the pew and they would, just, they would completely reject God. I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to be obedient. I'm not going to do what God's calling me to do. That's what I envision when I think of, rejecting God. But listen to this God's statement about how they had arrogantly rejected him. Verse 14. Here's how they've rejected him. Verse 14. You have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Here's what rejecting God looks like from his perspective. When we reject him and say, no, God, I'll not give you my best. No, God, I'll not serve you. No, God, I'll not put you first. God sees it as rejection. And so God says specifically here, they said it is vain to serve the Lord. Now, please understand this morning. God calls all of his people to serve him. Serving is an incredible opportunity. It is an incredible privilege, but it is also a calling for every believer. Samuel said it this way in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 23 through 24. He said this, I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord, listen to this statement, and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Let me ask you a question this morning. Has God been good to you? I mean, have you, can, have you ever stopped for just a moment and considered the great things God has done for you? As Samuel saying, listen, if you will consider what God has done for you, you can't help but to serve God with all your heart. David said it this way in Psalm 100, verses 2 through 3. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. When we consider who God is, and yet that he has been gracious and merciful towards us to love us and to forgive us, to call us his own, even to give us spiritual gifts so that the body of Christ can be built up and to be edified. Friend, I'm telling you, we should see serving God as a privilege and as a joy. You say, Pastor, does that mean that every task is easy? No. Pastor, does that mean that there won't be sacrifices? Absolutely not. Does that mean that it won't be inconvenient? No, absolutely not. But here's what I am saying. When we recognize who he is and we recognize what he's worthy of, friend, I'm telling you, it gives us a proper eternal perspective so that we get joy in bringing him glory no matter what the cost. That's what I'm saying this morning. 
I believe what God is calling us to recognize is this. When we see the privilege that it is to serve God for our lives to matter for eternity, man, it should give us an incredible sense of peace and of opportunity to know that God has invited us to serve him. It may not always be easy. It may not even always be fun, but it'll be worthwhile when we know that we're honoring and exalting Jesus Christ. Now, let me illustrate that in a very simple and practical way. God gave me uh, just a very simple illustration of that this past Sunday or this past Tuesday. Maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, does that mean that you're always joyful in serving the Lord? I would love to say I'm always absolutely joyful, but I have to confess and say that I'm not always joyful in serving the Lord. This past Tuesday, we, many of us were outside at the fairgrounds, and we've partnered with the fairgrounds in many different ways for ministry and more to come in the future, but we were helping to park cars at the fairgrounds on Tuesday night. And as we were parking cars, we had on our Crosslink community, like bright fluorescent yellow shirts, you know, we're being bright for Jesus out there. And, and uh, as we were kind of assigning tasks and everything, I was assigned to be the first point person that people would see when they would come in. Now, Tuesday night, we're serving the Lord at the fairgrounds on the night of a country music concert. It is a lot of fun, okay? And I happen to draw the card. I'm at the place where everybody and their brother wants to get to the special parking. And so they come up with every excuse possible to get to the special parking. And so I get to be the guy that says, "Uh uh-uh, you can't do it, all right? So what that means is is that people tell me a lot, hey, you're number one guy, okay? Like they're, they're very upset with me and I'm a very unliked person on Tuesday night. And so I'm sitting there and, and I'm serving and you know, we're, we're, we're trying to minister in different ways. And as I'm looking up in the distance, I am seeing these storm clouds like brewing. And, and I start to pray like, God, it's been, a, it's been a good night so far. Things are going, would you please just don't let it rain on us. Keep the rain on that side of the hill and the mountain, not over here. I don't know, you know, Elijah prayed, right? Didn't rain for a while, prayed again and then it came. And so God, please send that, that, that rain away. And a few minutes later, here came a drop. And I was like, Lord, thank you for that. That was refreshing, but no more. And here come another, and here come another. And before you know it, I mean like monsoon. I mean, I looked over and here came Noah on the boat and I waved at him, you know, like just, it is absolutely pouring. And, and I'm sitting and I am soaked and other people are soaked and, and, and it's just, it just wasn't fun in that moment. And I'm gonna be honest in that moment, I was thinking of all the other places I could be. I began to think of the other places that I maybe even should be. And I was thinking, man, I could be doing, I can be ministering in some other way, but, but, but Lord, here we are. We're serving you out here. Okay, this is good, you know. And, and finally, the rains kind of stop. But you know, you know how when the rains finally stop, that muggy heat just starts to suffocate you? You know, <gasps> you're just trying to catch a deep breath. And about that time, a car pulled up. Now, the traffic was starting to back up a little bit because we had a quick rush of people. And, and this, there was a girl and her boyfriend, and she, she rolled her window down. They're, they're obviously headed to the country concert, and th- their favorite song is Whiskey Glasses. They're getting ready to hear on Tuesday night. You know, it's a great time to shine the light of Jesus. And here she comes pulling in. She stops there for just a moment. And, and the honest truth, somewhere along the way in that rainstorm, I began to realize how bad my attitude was. I did. And, and somewhere along the way in that rainstorm, before this girl had pulled up, I had just began to think like, man, I just need, I need, for me, I need to worship the Lord. And so right there in the middle of that rainstorm, I began to sing a song to the Lord. And somewhere in the process of that rainstorm, God began to change my attitude and God began to change my disposition. And I wasn't even aware of the rain stopped. Here comes this little girl, her window's about halfway down and she looks over at me. And I, of course, I probably look ridiculous. I am completely soaked. And she looks over at me. Now, remember, I know the message that I'm preaching on Sunday. I've been talking and preparing about the joy of serving the Lord. God's been convicting me and dealing with my heart in the middle of a rainstorm on a Tuesday night at Rockingham County Fairgrounds. And she looks over at me and she says, well, you look joyful. (laughs) And I I thought about that at a moment and I realized I'm sitting here singing out loud with this goofy grin on my face. I probably look ridiculous. And I look back at her and I say, well, why not? Jesus saved me and I love him and he loves me. What better reason to be joyful? And she turned down her radio and she looked at her boyfriend and she said, I didn't expect to hear that. (laughs) She did. She said, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm ridiculous. That's what I'm saying. No, what I'm saying is 
It's not always easy and there are challenges and there are difficulties. But listen, when we get our attention off of ourselves and our pity party is over and we get our attention on the Lord and who he is and what he's worthy of, I'm telling you, it changes our perspective and it gives purpose and it gives fulfillment to our service. In fact, even in the sacrifices, we find joy because we know in them that God is using them to work through them to make us more like him. So it doesn't matter what comes our way. So how did the people serve God in Malachi's day? I gotta say this quickly, but three things they did wrong in their service. Number one, they viewed serving the Lord as being pointless. Notice the statement in verse 14. They said it is vain to serve the Lord. The Hebrew word for vain is the same kind of meaning that we would understand in our English today. It means that it is futile and it is worthless. Now think of this for just a moment. These people had been serving. They're going to the temple. They're offering their sacrifices. They are serving God. It's not a lack of service that their problem, uh, their problem is not a lack of service. Their problem is not a lack of showing up. Their problem is that their heart hasn't been in it. They've been going through the spiritual checklist, checking out the boxes, going through the outward motions, but their heart has not been in it. And as a result of this, God has not been blessing it. And so they're looking and they're saying, well, where's the blessing? God, we've been serving you, but we don't see the evidence of your work. God, you're not working in the way that we anticipated. God, you're not even working in the way that we hoped. We don't see any fruit from our actions. Little do they realize in this moment that their own words were the evidence that they weren't trusting God. Nor were they realizing that in this moment, God's lack of blessing was due because of their disobedience to him but they saw it as futile. God, this is worthless. They had no eternal perspective of what truly God was calling them to do. And so when they looked at service now, well, somebody else can do that. So, somebody else can provide that need. So, somebody else can give up their time over there. Someone else can sacrifice over there. Their words of calling God's service vain revealed the true spiritual condition of their heart. It discouraged others from serving and ultimately impacted the way themselves served God. They saw it as worthless. Secondly, not only was serving the Lord pointless, but hold on for a moment. This might speak to us. They also saw that serving the Lord wasn't profitable. It wasn't profitable. Verse 14 and they said, what profit is it that we have kept his charge? What profit, how has it profited us that we have been obeying God and that we have been serving him? In other words, yes, they were going through the outward motions. They were religious for sure, but they weren't serving the Lord for the right reasons. So they're serving and they're doing, but they're arguing with God and they're saying, but God, what's in it for me? God, I'm serving you and I'm doing all these different things, but where's my blessing? What's in it for me? How is it benefiting me is their question. It's interesting to note that the word prophet in this statement, what prophet is it that we have kept his charge? The word prophet in the Hebrew literally was used to describe a weaver who would cut away the piece of cloth from the loom. In other words, the people were serving God and doing all these religious works in expectation that they would get their cut back from God. Like, like a gangster on television who would do the dirty work on the streets and then would come back to the boss and say, where's my cut? That's what they're doing with God. God, we're serving you. We're giving of our time. We're bringing our sacrifices. We're doing all these things. Our God Where's my cut? Where's my benefit? Where's my blessing? God, what's in it for me? It's strange to know that since 440 BC, there's a lot that's changed in the world. Uh, we think about electricity and we think about this little thing called the internet and this interesting invention called a cell phone. A lot of things have changed in the world since 440 BC. But it's very interesting that the spiritual condition and the spiritual heart of man hasn't changed at all. In Malachi's day, that's what was going on. But perhaps even today, we would think, well, well, why serve the Lord if there's no benefit for me? I mean, how is it going to profit me? I'm not making money out of it. There's better things I could be doing with my time. I, I mean, if I wasn't serving the Lord, I could sleep in. 
I could beat the crowd to Cracker Barrel. I mean, we could beat them over. I could hang out on the ball field as much as I want. I could go to the lake and put my line out in the water as much as I want. I could get home earlier to watch the big game because after all, it's about me, not about the Lord. Sadly, I remember several years ago asking a gentleman in our church that I pastored at the time, I've been praying about a specific ministry and and a ministry that was already going, and there was a gentleman specifically that God put in my heart about serving in this ministry. And so I met with him, talked to him, asked him to pray about serving in this specific ministry. And after praying, he agreed to do so. And he wasn't being asked to be the leader or anything. He was just asked to, be, to participate. And frankly, I felt like his gifts aligned with this, as well as I felt like it would be a little out of his comfort zone. Like it would challenge him in some ways that God could use to grow him in some ways. And so I asked him, would you pray? He prayed about it, and he committed to serve. And I remember specifically, he served one Sunday. And after that, he called me. I need to meet with you this week. So I said, absolutely. So we met, and we sat down and talked, and he said, I got a problem. I said, what's that? He said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I said, okay, what's up? He said, I didn't get anything out of it. And I paused for just a moment. And I listened to him and I shared and I tried to be very gracious in the way I talked to him. But here's the reality. The problem is, is that he was in it for what he could get out of it. There's something wrong with that statement. I didn't get anything out of it. Here's the reality. The reality is when we serve the Lord, it's not about us. It's not about my blessing. It's not about my name. It's not about my glory. It's not about me being on a pedestal. No, it's about God. It's about his name. It's about his glory. It's about his kingdom. And as we say yes to God, and as we honor him with faithful obedience, guess what? He is faithful, and he does direct, and at times he does bless. But we're not in it for that. We're simply giving him the glory and the praise. What's in it for me? That was the question of Malachi, and it's often the question on us. I'm reminded, though, if we are serving merely for what we get out of it, then our entire perspective is wrong. The Bible says of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, he said of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came not for his will to be done, but to say, Father, your will be done. Philippians chapter 2, we're called as believers to live with the same mind and the same attitude as Christ. And what is that? It is the heart and the attitude of a servant. It's not about what I profit, but it's about his glory and his purposes. If we're serving the Lord for our own profit, please hear me. If you are serving the Lord for your own profit, you will likely be very disappointed in this life. And the reason why is because your own profit is based upon an expectation that you demand of God. God will bless and he will be faithful, but he may not bless in the way that you selfishly demand. And so whatever the blessing is, it will never be enough. And so if you're serving for your own profit, you're gonna be disappointed. And when that disappointment comes and when the trials and difficulties of life come, when God doesn't bless in the way that you thought he should because you knew better, right? Then suddenly you're gonna be at a loss and not know what to do. Sadly, in 2019, even in recent weeks, there have been numerous, uh, like I think of one specific Christian writer, a Christian songwriter who supposedly have abandoned the faith is what we're being told. But here's the reality. When you begin to read their statements of why they're abandoning the faith, it becomes very obvious they were never in the faith in the first place. They, they had a faith, they had a belief that if God did, if they did these things for God, that God would bless them in this way. And then when life happened and real circumstances came, when their personal life didn't go as the way they anticipated, they looked and said, well, wait a second, we live for you, God. We expected this in return. And since we didn't get it, you must not be real or true. So we're gonna do our own thing over here. What they're showing is, is it was never about God in the first place. They were in it for themselves. So pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying to you this morning, God has called us to serve him, but, but I want to consider for a moment a few reasons why we should serve him. Think of this for a moment. Why should we serve the Lord? It's 2019, preacher. Why should we serve the Lord? First and foremost, every time, because of who he is. Please understand this. Nothing I face in my life and nothing I feel in this life will ever change the fact of who Jesus is. Well, there was a terrible tragedy, a shooting. There was a terrible hurricane. I lost a child. Nothing we face will ever change the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lord. 
Only Jesus left the throne of heaven. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. Only Jesus rose again from the grave, proving that he is the Lord over all. We serve not because of what I feel and not because of what I want. We serve because Jesus alone is the Lord. Nothing in our day today will ever change who he is. We serve because of who he is, but we also serve because he's worthy of our service. Because he's Lord, he is worthy. Romans chapter 12 says it this way. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Think of that. Has God been merciful to you? By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Here's how the King James says it, which is your reasonable what? Serve. It's only reasonable. When we consider all the mercies of God towards us, it's only reasonable that we would give our lives in service to him. But we also serve him thirdly because ultimately because we love him. We love him. I I hear that statement. We serve because we love Jesus. And I cannot help but to think of Luke chapter 7. Jesus is gathered in Simon's house. And there's a crowd around him. And apparently they're pretty religious because everybody, it looks like a pretty good crowd. It's like a Sunday morning type of crowd. You know what I'm talking about? And the Bible says, Luke says it this way, and the sinner came into the house. Now, now, when somebody walks in and everybody's like, time out, hold up, the sinner is here. You got a reputation in the community, okay? The sinner comes into the house, a lady, without any explanation. She gets on her knees. And the Bible says she's weeping before the Lord. And her tears are falling to his feet. This was a shameful act, and you didn't do this publicly in Hebrew culture. She she takes out the band that was holding her long hair in, and the Bible says she takes her hair, and she begins to wash the feet, wipe the feet of Jesus. And then she takes this alabaster vial, this precious perfume, and she breaks it and she pours this perfume all over the feet of Jesus. Can you imagine how sweet that fragrance would have filled that room? She's pouring it out as she's serving the Lord in this moment. Listen to what Jesus said of her. Luke chapter 7. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You you gave me no kiss, but she, since the time she came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Listen to this statement. For she what? (laughs) Loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. If you say focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's worthy of, and if you genuinely love him, guess what? It will demonstrate itself in your life in the practical ways that you serve him. It will not be a burden. It will not be a chore. It will not be because you have to. It will be one of the greatest joys and privileges because you understand the Lord Jesus Christ has invited you into the opportunity of serving him. In other words, the so-called Christian who is content to sit back and do nothing while others serve the Lord show they don't truly understand who Jesus is, what he deserves, and sadly lacks love for him. What did Jesus say to Peter? He said, Peter, do you love me? Oh, Lord, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Of course, Lord, I love you. And Peter, feed my sheep. If you love me, minister, serve, and feed my people. That's what Jesus said. Second thing I want you to see, and I gotta move quickly, we've seen the rejection of the Lord by what they said and by their service. I gotta move quickly, but I want you to see the remembrance of the Lord. The third thing that's there in your notes that we didn't get to a moment ago is they saw that serving the Lord, frankly, was a major pain. That's a 2019 term, right? It was a pain. They looked at their fastings and they looked at their mornings as as they're religiously going through the motions and then they looked at the wicked people around them and they basically said, God, we are making all these sacrifices for nothing. What an inconvenience. Serving you, God, is a setback. It's a burden. It's an inconvenience. It's a sacrifice. We want nothing to do because the wicked around us are doing great. And if we just completely ignored you, we could live with them and we would be just fine. That's what they're saying. 
Verse 15, so now we call the arrogant blessed, and not only are all the doers of wickedness built up, which means they're set up for success, they also test God and they escape. So God, we want nothing else to do with serving you. It's too much to ask. God brings a simple word of remembrance. Verse 16, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. Listen to what God says. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Please understand how you worship God. God knows exactly whether it's genuine or not. God knows whether or not you're in a right relationship. If you're serving, he knows He knows all these things. God says there's a time of remembrance, and that remembrance is done in two ways. Number one, the Bible tells us that he spares the righteous. In fact, when you read this statement in verse 16, he says simply, very, very clearly, the Lord gave attention. He heard it. A book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear him and who esteem his name. He says, they will be mine, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Please understand this morning what God is describing. He said, Pastor, all right, I know what it means to be righteous. It means that you, it's someone who's been forgiven. It's someone who's been cleansed. It's someone who's been made right with God, right? But what does it mean that God's going to spare them? It means that God's going to rescue them. From what? What God is getting to in Malachi chapter 3 and Malachi chapter 4 is of a day of judgment. We don't like to talk about that in 2019. We can do what I want. There's no repercussions. There's no consequences. No, the Bible says that one day there is coming a day of judgment. See, Jesus first came and he gave his life for us that all could be forgiven and all could be saved. He first came that we might experience God's grace and his mercy, but there's coming a day when he's going to come again. And when he comes again, he's going to take all the believers to be with himself, but there will be great judgment upon those who do not. God says, I'm going to spare the righteous. I will spare them as a man spares his own son. There's coming a day when God's judgment will come upon this world. But the only ones that will be spared will be those who believe in Jesus. Those who accepted God's way of salvation. Begs a question, doesn't it? Does that include you? Does that include me? Is that us? Have we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior? The Bible tells us of those who, who did, those who would be spared. It says of them that they revered the Lord. These are the ones that respected God. They had a reverence for God. They had a worship for God. That, that, that's who was being spared. And In fact, he says specifically, they esteemed his name, which means they, they thought highly of his name and they considered the things of God. They meditated on the things of God. They, they studied his word that they might understand him and know what his calling was in their life, that they would honor him. But the Bible says they even spoke of him to one another. Again, when you're thinking on God, what fills your heart and mind comes out of your mouth. In fact, they're speaking to one another suggests they're not isolated and separated. They're in community. They're connected with one another. They're, they're the believers, if you will. They're the body. It's encouraging to know that even in a day, in, two, in that day, 400 years before the birth of Christ, when so many were throwing in the towel and were rejecting God, even still, God had a remnant that were faithful. They loved God. They worshiped him. They were serving him. And God says, I'll remember and I will spare the righteous. But in the remembrance of the Lord, not only did he say he would spare the righteous, finally, he also said one day he would separate the wicked. He'd separate the wicked. In fact, listen to what the Bible says, verse 18. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the ones who serve God and when every evildoer will be chaff, and every evildoer the Bible says, we'll be chaffed. The day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. There's coming a day of separation. Now, follow the scene with me for just a moment. God says, those who do not genuinely worship him, those that are not a part of this faithful group that are remembered in his book of remembrance, those that are not spared in that day of judgment, will be like the chaff. 
well, I'm not a farmer, and I don't know all the details of this, but I've studied it enough to know that when wheat grows, there's an outward shell, it's a very light shell, that forms, and it is called the chaff. From a distance, it looks like it is a part of that kernel of the wheat. Sometimes, though, that chaff is so light that the wind can blow strongly, and that chaff literally will fall off and fall away. Other times in that day, a farmer would, would gather the grains of wheat, and literally by his hand, he would separate the grain of wheat from the chaff. And in that day especially, they would take that chaff, that light, very fine, frankly, very shallow substance, and they would take it and they would use it for fuel in the fire. And there it would burn. God says to these people in Malachi's day, remember, they're all going to the temple to worship. The problem in Malachi's day is not that the numbers were no, low last month. The problem is not that there weren't people there to worship or people going through the motions. There were tons of people worshiping God. But what God said is this. He said, listen, there are some who have an outward showy appearance. They look godly. They even do religious things. It looks on the outside like everything is fine. But I'm telling you, there's the wheat and there's the chaff. There are those who know me and there are those who don't. There are those who worship me and those that are just going through the motions. There are those who serve me and there are those who don't. And God says in that day of judgment... It'll be very clear. In Malachi's day, frankly, it's hard to look out at the crowd and determine who was genuine and real and who wasn't. But God says, I make no mistake. I'm a good and I'm a righteous judge. And when the day of judgment comes, there will be a separation. There will be the righteous who are spared and the wicked that are separated for judgment. So, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm simply saying this. I am saying... More than anything, God wants us to be in a right relationship with him. God's judgment and the promise of it is as true today in 2019 as it was 400 years before the birth of Christ. But please don't miss this. To the people of Malachi's day, God didn't say judgment's coming, all hope is lost, you're done for, the end. The entire theme of Malachi is Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. When God looks at them in grace and mercy, he sees them going the wrong direction. He sees the dead end ahead. He sees the danger that's to come. He knows the judgment that's coming. And God in his grace and mercy cries out and he says, return to me. Return to me and I'll return to you. Be saved. Be spared. Go the right direction. But the people of Malachi's day, sadly, looked at God and said, eh, we got plenty of time. We'll deal with that later. God, 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 we hear you. We'll return in a more convenient season. Little did they know that when Malachi was finally silent, it would be another 400 years before God would speak again. And he would speak through a prophet named John the Baptist and then through a son named Jesus who would come. And even then, the vast majority would still reject him. Why? Because it wasn't about God, a lack of proof of God. It wasn't about a lack of evidence that Jesus is Lord. Jesus said it clearly. Why do they reject? Because men love darkness rather than light. And they'd rather continue going their same direction than to humble themselves and repent of their sin. This morning... God brought the people of Malachi's day to a place where they had to make a decision. Repent and return or experience his judgment. And I believe in 2019, there's this powerful message that God is still speaking today. And God is saying to us today, return to me. Repent of your sin and return to me. And when you do, there's grace, there's forgiveness. Man, it can be a new day moving forward in your life. Man, if you reject, don't ignore the fact that judgment is coming. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. Lord, this message in many ways for us today is hard to hear because we live in a culture that is so opposed to you. God, I... The more I spend time in your word, the more I 
you begin to reveal cultural things that unintentionally I have come to accept. God, each of us have been impacted in some way, shape, or form by the world in which we live. God, I pray that you would continue to show us the error of our thinking. And I pray that you continue to show us the truth of your word. God, I'm so thankful that you are not a dictator off in the distance barking orders. You are a good and gracious, compassionate father who calls us to be in a right relationship with you. And and Father, I I confess that I, I have been in the shoes of those people in Malachi's day where maybe I'd hardened my heart and I couldn't see what you were wanting me to see. I had a hard time receiving what you were convicting me of. But God, I'm so thankful that you are persistent and you're gracious and calling us back to yourself. God, that when we repent and we return, you forgive and you cleanse and you make us a brand new creation in Christ. God, I'm so thankful for that. Father, there are some here today who need to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. God, who have an outward appearance of religion, an outward appearance maybe of godliness and good things, but they don't have a relationship with you. And so God, I pray today for those individuals that you would reveal that to them and that you would assure them, God, that if they repent of their sin and accept Jesus as Lord, that they too will be saved and that relationship will begin this very day. God, for those here today who are believers, who are saved, but are not demonstrating their love for you through service, I pray, God, today that you would call them to action and that because we love you and because of who you are and what you deserve, God, that from this day forward, they would give their best for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.